Would you mind standing while I read this word of God? He's come uh, to visit us through his word today. Uh, the context you're going to see is from Acts 2. It's following along what Giorgio has been preaching, and Chris is going to bring God's word to us today. But uh, the context is Pentecost, of course, and Peter has been preaching, and he's made them see that God promised a Messiah and that the Messiah has come. It is the resurrected Christ. And then they've been filled with the spirit, with tongues of fire. And he's still preaching, that's what preachers do. They don't let up until they say, repent <laughs> and be baptized. And so he's asked this crowd to do that and 3,000 came to the Lord that day. And so this is what follows. Hear now the word, God's word from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of our Lord. Hey, good morning again. Um, good to see you all. It's good to see, the, good to see the house full. I feel like the car broke down, you know, like two years ago, and we've been fixing it, and now it's like starting to crank up again. It's really exciting. The car in this being the church. Um, uh, what... Um, When's the last time that you went to Old Salem? Anybody been to Old Salem recently? Yeah, Bev's like loves Old Salem. If if you're if you're new to the area, Old Salem is this uh, Moravian town that's sort of preserved the way that it was when it was started. I guess in the 18th century, and um, so you can go there. Maybe you've been to Colonial Williamsburg or a place like that, and you go and you see the way life was done back in the day. You can go to the blacksmith shop. Um, what's special about Old Salem is you can go to the Moravian Bakery and they, they you know, light the fires in the oven and then they show you how they would do the breads at a certain time, the cakes at a certain time, the cookies, which is the state cookie of the state of North Carolina, the Moravian cookie. And, uh, and you have this really charming experience of this is the way that life used to be done. And without probably realizing it, when you go to something like Old Salem and you experience this old way of life, you're asking the question without really thinking that you're asking the question, would I rather live the life the, way, life the way I live it currently, or would I rather go back and live life the way that they were living it back in the old Salem days? And then you answer the question that you never even thought you asked by getting in your car and driving to Food Lion or driving through Starbucks, something like that. Um, would you rather have your current way of life or this old way of life? 
And uh, maybe that you're a person that likes to hear like data and polling and stuff like that. I won't, if you're not, that won't bore you with a lot. But um, there's all kinds of metrics all the time, but especially in the last couple years about people's engagement with stuff like church and what it's been like to go through COVID. Um, in November, almost all Protestant churches in America were meeting again, but only about three quarters of people were, had returned to them. Um, over the last three years, people that attended church like once or twice a month at least has fallen about 10%. Biggest drop if you're 18 to 24. The number of people that never attend something like this has gone up precipitously. And then also back in the fall, there was, a, there was a study about pastors and how many pastors had seriously considered quitting in the past year. It was about 40%, 38% of pastors had given real serious consideration of quitting in the last year. It was up almost 10% since January. So over the course of last year, uh, if you're under 45 and you're a pastor like me, it was almost half had seriously considered quitting, and somebody told me that those numbers are probably skewed because of the number of people who had already quit. Um, so that's encouraging. Let's pray. Um, uh, those are just some, some examples, but what they show, at least, is that fewer and fewer people like us are finding the way of American Christianity to be compelling to be something that we would want to show up and to give our time toward. And so the question for us this morning as we come to this passage, um, is there something more compelling in the way that the church did life at first? More compelling than the way that we do life now? As Susan said, the people that followed Jesus right after his life and death and resurrection was about half the total number of people in this room. And then in one day, 3,000 people start following Jesus. And this passage tells us what their life was like at the beginning. And the question that I want us to ask as we look at this passage for a few minutes is would you rather live life the way you're living it now or would you rather do it the way they did it? Three things that I want to point out the front, the, of the way that they did life at the beginning, that the church did life in the early days. And the first is that that church was teachable. That they were teachable. Right at the beginning of the passage, it says that these new Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, God's Word. That was this message that was being handed down to them from people like Peter and James and John and Paul and others, people who had done life with Jesus, was central to what they did when they got together. They received this Word. They devoted themselves to it in the life of the Christian community. Christians in that day um, were not united by their best ideas. They weren't uh, united by their preferences for how to do life together, they hung on every word that came from God and they devoted themselves to revealing it. And that's actually why the church continues to open up the Bible in worship 
every week when we gather, we open up that same thing they devoted themselves to, which was the apostles' teaching. The church in Acts did not come together to bolster their view of the world. Of the world. They didn't gather together to get confirmation of what they already thought. They came together to receive a new view of everything from the teaching of the apostles. They received God's Word. Um, if you are a Harry Potter fan, uh, I, I love the scene. If you've seen the movie or read the, read the books, in the first book, when Harry starts receiving letters from Hogwarts. Uh, he receives a letter, his Uncle Vernon throws it away, but letters keep coming and coming and coming until they're coming down the chimney, they're coming through the mail slot. And this word that's coming from Professor Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, is telling Harry that he's actually not just some uh, little forgotten boy who lives under the, in a cupboard under the stairs, who is abused by his aunt and uncle, but that he is actually a wizard, he has a family, he has a new story. Um, he receives a word that changes not just his view of, real, of himself and his identity and of his future, but the nature of reality itself. Suddenly he finds out that the world is full of magic and wizards. Scripture does the same thing for people when they gather around it to receive it. Scripture does this over and over and over in the life of God's people. We gather, even today, the same way they did, around God's truth, which is given to us in Jesus, who is the living Word, and through Scripture. And we hold it the same way, we have the, the invitation to hold it the same way that Harry received that letter from Hogwarts to say, it's hard to believe that this is true. That this is who I really am. That this is really how the world works. But if it is true, I want it to be true. Because it means that God made the world and that God is beautiful and good and glorious and that He made you and me like Him. And He's rescuing the world and we have a future that is full of hope and beauty if we will receive it. And if we say that we, that we love Jesus, but we don't care about receiving that Word and letting it transform us, then we're really like a lover who says that they don't really care about what their beloved has to say to them. That they don't read their beloved's letters. Receiving Scripture is a way to love God and to be loved by Him. So the ancient Christian way would require us to be teachable, to be receiving God's Word in that same way, to always return to God's Word to reorient yourself. But if we were doing life in the ancient Christian way, you wouldn't just be, be reorienting yourself, but you would be being reoriented as a people. The church was teachable but this church in Acts also needed each other. They lived a life of mutual dependence on each other. If you look back in the passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Later it says that they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. These were people who had come from all over Israel and they had heard this word. Some of them didn't live in, most of them didn't live in Jerusalem, but they found themselves now following Jesus and having this new life together that was centered on a communal life. Christians were social, dependent on other people, and devoted to other people. They were not individuals gathered together, but a people. For these Christians, life with Jesus only made sense if they were with one another. That's why if you read the New Testament, like 80-something percent of it makes absolutely no sense if you were just by yourself. It's written to a people. And immediately, the reflex of all these new believers, and many of whom were then homeless in this place, was to divest themselves of their belongings, of their wealth, of their possessions, in order to provide for the needs of others. If you look in in verse 44 there, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Immediately, God's people, when they, when they discover Jesus and receive this new life in Jesus as these wonders and signs are being done by the apostles, immediately they become radically hospitable and merciful, giving up their stuff for those around them, and receiving from others, having the humility to receive wealth and possessions from others. In chapter 4 in Acts, it actually says, since they had everything in common, nobody had a need. Everyone had what they needed. And Here's why this, is good, this way of life is good news, if you're, especially if you're scared of other people, which are this, other people are the most terrifying thing that exists on the planet. <clears throat> Many of us are terribly lonely. Like really, really lonely. In despair of ever actually having meaningful connection with other people. And so we hide ourselves and we protect ourselves. But Jesus loves you enough to unite you not just to Himself, but to other human beings. You were created not just to want other people, but to need other people. That your life would not make sense with Jesus on your own. But it's not just good news because we're lonely. It's good news because when we come together transformation actually happens. Uh, I read a story a few years ago about a guy named Derek Black um, who, this is kind of a weird story, but his uh, family, he came from a white supremacist family, white nationalist family, and his family had started this website, which, praise God, has been taken down since, called Stormfront, which was like the leading white nationalist website. And I don't know how weird your childhood was, what you did as a kid, but he, Derek Black, ran the kids page on Stormfront, which just goes to show that just because there's a kids page on a website doesn't mean that you want your kids necessarily to, walk, to look at it, because um, this is the kids' white supremacy page. 
when he got to college, um, he was unsure of what to do because he had lived in his family and this way of seeing the world that was racist, anti-Semitic. And, uh, but when he went, got to college, he actually was invited into a community of dinners from a group of Jewish students on campus. And these classmates invited him into these dinners and over the course of months and years walked him through the very difficult process of unlearning his ideology, which is crazy to think about for him and painful to think about for him because uh, his dad was quoted in this piece saying that he wished that he had never had a child if he'd known how painful it would be to see his child leave their ideology. But think about how painful it was for the community, for the Jewish community, to invite this person in who could not help but to dehumanize them again and again. But they walked him through transformation. More often than not, transformation happens in community and not in isolation. And this is where we are very different from our sisters and brothers in Acts doing life in Jerusalem. It's because we tend to think that transformation happens when we discover ourselves. But more often than not, transformation happens when we discover other people. Not when we find ourselves, but when we find others. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed, uh, was a Christian pastor in Germany who was killed um, for uh, standing against Hitler. He has a great book called Life Together. Highly recommend. It's short, too, so that's why I recommend it. Um, he, he says this, the Christian needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And some of you guys have experienced that in community. That the Christ in your own heart feels weaker than the Christ in the word of your sister or brother. So the ancient Christian way would require you to live in dependence on others and to allow others to live in dependence on you. And so the question for us is, are you willing to hurt when your sister hurts? And are you willing to thrive when your brother thrives? Scary. Um, maybe easier to hop in the car and go through Starbucks than to make those Moravian cookies. But the last thing, and th this is, I think, the most important, that this church in Acts practiced the magic of God's love. What they did when they were together is they practiced the magic of God's love. Again, through the passage, they broke bread together, the prayers, they went to the temple Actually, when Luke writes that they committed themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers, he's talking not just about eating together, but the sacraments that they shared together. The church was more than just a transforming community. It was a spiritual and magical community. Uh, and you, can, you can tell by what they did. It says they committed themselves to prayer. This is what they believe. I don't, you may have prayed a lot. You may not pray a lot. You may not know what's going on. That's where I'm at with prayer. I'm like, I'm not even really sure what's supposed to be happening right now. Um, 
That's real. I feel like I just found out in the last six months that I have an inner self that is deeper than my feelings and thoughts, and that's freaking me out. <laughs> um, but true, thankfully. When they prayed, what they were believing and practicing was that God invited them into a real live dialogue with Him. That that's what God wanted. That God could speak and that God could hear. And that He loved to hear. That it fills God with joy to hear from His people. That's magic. And they also began to celebrate what we now call the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are these outward signs that they would practice together to help them understand what was going on inside their souls. And, and baptism, what they were celebrating is what we continue to celebrate, is that we are covered with the stench of our own judgmentalism and our pride, our gossip, our self-centeredness, our failure to love, that it clings to us and there's nothing that we can do to get it off of us. We smell it all the time. But that Jesus took all that onto Himself. He wrapped us in Himself and pulled all of that stench onto Himself and then He washes us pure and clean. Not just our outer self, but our soul. That He washes us clean. And it's that washing that shows the world that we are His people. When someone is baptized, they are showing the world that Jesus washes us and puts His mark on us. In the, Lord, in the Lord's Supper, what they celebrated, what they had seen with their own eyes, which was that Jesus was torn apart at the cross. That He was torn apart physically and that He was torn apart from His Father and the Spirit, His true family. He was torn from them so that, he could, so that we could be rescued from death and so that our bodies physically and the bodies of our family could be put back together. That we could be healed into a real family, the church. These things show our need. And they show God's love. They are a way of practicing the magic of God's love. And for them, th these practices were not just like religious devotions. They weren't just ancient rituals that maybe meant something that I don't understand. They were acts of dependence on God. They knew that they were dependent upon God's love. And they practiced them not because that's just what religious people do. They practiced them because they believed that God loved them and that God loves the world. And they wanted to know it more, so they committed themselves to practicing it together. Those acts of dependence shaped the life of ancient Christians when they got together. That's what they did. That's how they did life. Bonhoeffer says it again. Without Christ, we should not know God. We could not call upon God nor come to God without Christ. But without Christ, we also would not know our brother. Nor could we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. 
in the ancient church, forgiveness was freely given and received among believers because they constantly, again and again and again and again, reminded themselves that while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. And that is true for us now if we commit ourselves to the practice of learning it in our bodies, that Christ gave Himself for us, that we freely have Him and freely have one another. This is one of the most beautiful realities in the church because sometimes your sister or brother in this body is your enemy. And we need something more than good intentions and good vibes to be reconciled to each other. And so what power do you have to have reconciled relationships that is better than what Jesus offers? That he was torn apart so that we could be put together. And so the question is before us, just like when you're eating those delicious cookies at Old Salem, is which life would you rather live? Um, I love Encanto, and I've been very pleased that so many of the children within our church have told me how much they also love Encanto, which is a Disney movie. It's on Disney+, Plus. So you can go watch it. I will share my login credentials with you if you want to go watch it. <laughs> it's got great music. Um, but in Encanto, uh, I won't give it away. It's like, if you cared, you've probably already seen it. So anyway, um, uh, but I want you to care. Okay, hear me saying I invite you to care about Encanto. Um, this, but basically, in the story of Encanto, there's a sacrifice of love that creates this magical home, La Casa de Madrigal. And it's this, this, this beautiful, magical home that does all these magical things to care for the Madrigal family. And this magic empowers all the members of the family with gifts. Gifts of strength, gifts of hearing, gifts of healing, gifts of changing the weather, talking to animals, gifts of strength, of healing, of beauty. And the household cares for the family, and a family full of gifts cares for the good of their community. And that is a lot like how this ancient church worked. They would actually go on throughout the rest of the New Testament to talk about what this thing is, and they would say it's a household. It's a building being built together. It's a family. It's one body with many gifts that exist for the good of the world. And the question for us is if you do long to live life the way they live it, is are you willing to be kin with these people? Are you willing to receive from these people? Are you willing to practice the magic of God's love with these people? I grew up as an only child with a single mom, and so I do not say that lightly. I long and have always longed for brothers and sisters and a father. And what God is showing me, and I think invites each of us to see, is that one of the most beautiful ways that he wants to bless you and to show you his love is to make you part of his people. And the magic is real. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, 
I think it's true and I want it to be true. But we need you to show up for us. I thank you for my sisters and brothers. I thank you that you have given yourself to them, Lord Jesus, and to me. That you have freed us to give ourselves to you. That you invite any of us this morning who do not know you to receive you and to give ourselves to you. And that you have given us to one another. So I pray that you would send your spirit so that we wouldn't be afraid, but that we would believe in the magic of your love together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.